This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Each week, you'll hear a portion of a work in progress and have a chance to interact with the author and other readers on the author's blog, posing questions, answering questions from the author, and hopefully having a lot of fun. Are you ready? Let's begin. Episode 6 At the end of the previous episode, Ash received some curious advice and information regarding the Enchanted Forest and the Enchanted Castle. Boiled down to the basics, it was, run away. Then, when she returned to her room by the kitchen, she found Hazel the Hedge Witch waiting for her. Hazel was able to speak to the spirit ring now attached to Ash's finger until she completes the quest. Hazel also said she had brought a companion to journey with Ash. Any guesses on who that might be? Then we're all agreed, Hazel said. You'll protect her from the Justiciar's spying eyes and guide her when faced by the castle when the time comes? I do vow. May I shatter into useless dust if I do not fulfill this final duty, the ring responded, after only a few seconds. Thank you. It's refreshing to run across some magic thingamabobs that have a sense of honor and fair play. Hazel nodded twice. Now, on to my reason for lying in wait for you. She gestured at the door of Ash's little room. Your companion. Ash pushed the door open and raised her candle to better illuminate the room, and then realized that a glowing ball of fairy light bobbed against the ceiling. She glanced around the room, wondering which of the servants Hazel had chosen to accompany her. Would she be allowed companions? She had already heard Lathia's wailing from several rooms away, when Justiciar Camwell refused her request for a retinue twice as large as her father had now, meaning she wanted Lord Diggory to assign some of his own guards and servants to accompany her, and most likely do all the work of the quest. Lathia was allowed two servants, total, a bodyguard and someone to tend to the baggage and horses. Ash hadn't asked, because she hadn't even dared hope. But could she ask for and be granted the use of a donkey for the quest? She wouldn't dare dream of borrowing a horse from the Fairhold stables. Until she heard Lathia complaining that she wasn't allowed to have two changes of horses, Ash had assumed they would both be on foot. She also hadn't thought to ask if anyone could go with her. The surge of gratitude to Hazel for thinking of this made her dizzy for a few heartbeats. Who had she asked? and even persuaded, maybe threatened, to accompany Ash on this quest. Petrarch's face filled her mind, then wins. Both would be wonderful companions, brave and strong and loyal, and definitely the most clever of all the servants near her age. Her face warmed as she realized that she hadn't immediately hoped for Dunstan, who had even said he wished he could go with her. As kind as he was, and as clever and well-intentioned as he was, Dunstan had a sense of helplessness about him. Movement among the blankets on her bed. Then a fuzzy, grayish-yellowish bundle slid out, and two enormous, slightly ragged ears popped forward. It's a rabbit, she said. No, that's a bunny. There's an enormous gulf of difference, the ring said. There is, Ash thought back, catching herself just in time to avoid saying it aloud. Common sense said, 
If Hazel had chosen that bundle of fuzz and big liquid eyes and enormous teeth as her companion, then there was something special about it, intelligent, and likely with feelings that could be hurt. Insulting something that might save her life, or at the very least keep her out of trouble, was not a wise way to start her quest. I'm sorry, Bunny, she said, and bowed to the bunny, which, now that she was a few steps closer, was perhaps twice the size of any rabbit she had ever seen. This is Fang, Hazel gestured, and the bunny hopped down off the cot and sat up on its hind legs. Its ears twisted and bent, pointing in different directions, bobbing up and down. It reminded Ash of the castle's soldiers practicing flag signals. Is he talking with his ears, she ventured? Fang sat up taller and grinned, nodding vigorously. His front teeth were three times wider and longer than any front teeth she had ever seen on any creature or person, and there was a rather large gap between them. Ash thought she could perhaps fit her thumb and forefinger in the gap. Did his teeth have a, a reddish stain? He likes you, Hazel said. I knew he would. I think you two will get along famously. Maybe you've noticed his teeth? Uh, yes. Wonderful things, his teeth. He can cut through wood like it was flax, and scratch escape holes through stone like men would saw through wood. And those hind legs of his are quite clever at pummeling and punching. And when he's all hunched up and giving big-eyed melting looks, nobody would expect to be ambushed. As for understanding what he's saying, she sighed, well, we don't have time to teach you, so the two of you will have to work out how to understand him as you travel along. Time is of the essence. You need to get out of the castle and away from Fairhold Downs before dawn. Why? What did you hear? Lathia is going to sabotage me, isn't she? It's not enough to try to force me to travel with her and do all the work? Lathia? Who's? Oh, that nasty piece of fancy rubbish. I've been too busy dealing with more pressing problems. Hazel gestured with a nod at Fang. He's the one who needs to get out of the Downs and out of Alfordia as quickly as possible. I keep telling him, if he insists on only eating red and being the messy eater he is, sooner or later he's going to be accused of murder. Or worse, vampirism. Oh, Ash supposed that made sense, taking into account the red stains on the bunny's chest fur and teeth and the gap between them, and him being named Fang. Who's after him? Who isn't? He's been passed along by the sisterhood of hedge witches, traveling at night or through underground passages that I'll thank you to forget I mentioned. She punctuated that with a nod. I've had him four days now, and he's rather helpful around the cottage. But word is that the Bunny Council has collected their individual magics, and they've got a tracking spell at work. And yes, before you ask, that's one of the big differences between bunnies and rabbits, or conies, or hares, or the dozen other odd names for all the varieties of the breed. Bunny means a touch of magic in the blood, larger size, bigger teeth, and generally a nasty, inconvenient ability to control their tempers. Ash swallowed down the urge to remark that she always thought bunnies were baby rabbits, and the word little children used for rabbits. Certainly not an entirely different temperamental, slightly magical breed. Perhaps she wasn't quite as well-read and educated as Lady Charlotte and Friar Ipswich thought. Her mind snapped over to all the things she had learned about the enchanted castle already today. It was filled with books, wasn't it? 
How much could she learn from those books? Useful things, of course, other than magic, hopefully. All right, so Fang and I shall leave under cover of darkness. Where do you advise we go first? Ring? Fang made a definite snickering sound and bounced across the room. The movement would have been called bounding if he had managed more than two leaps, which revealed just how long and muscular his hind legs were. His feet, when they touched the flagstone floor, flattened out to twice the width of Ash's hands. Yes, she could see how handy those feet would be, slapping and pummeling and punching adversaries. On Fang's second bounce, he had more than crossed the room and would have slammed into the door, except Hazel reached over and flung it open just in the nick of time. He flew out the door and there was a muffled thud, which turned out to be the sound of bunny fur and bunny muscle against a stone wall. He says down always works quite well, the spirit ring said. Down? Oh yes, a tunnel. They won't expect you to vanish down a bunny hole when everyone expects to give the two of you a ceremonial send-off at the castle gates in the morning, Hazel said. She beckoned, and the two of them followed Fang by the sound of his thumps moving down the darkened hallway. Ceremonial, Ash said. That sounded rather nice. Until she thought about the ominous words, the two of you meaning Lathia would be there, and her father, and their disgusting, arrogant, loyal servants. Just what were Ash's chances she could get away from the castle and out of their reach before they tried something nasty? If something happened to Ash, would the quest be cancelled, since there was nothing to prove? That was the implication, after all, of sending both of them out on this quest. Whoever succeeded and completed the quest first would be judged the more innocent party— if not the only innocent party. The only people who like ceremony are the historical chroniclers. Those who have to stand through ceremonies don't care for them, and you don't want to be the one who's at the center of the ceremony, Hazel said. That's a surefire way to ask destiny to take a long, hard look at you and decide if it's going to make life painfully interesting, so you earn all sorts of inconvenient riches and fame. That sounds uncomfortable, Ash said. Indeed. Hedge witches have ceremonies, but we make them as short and simple and practical as possible, and then we make up for it with long, comfortable, lazy parties. I'll get you invited to one when you come back. She caught her breath, and for a moment her gaze went distant. Her eyes took on a greenish glow. She blinked, and they were ordinary hazel again. If you come back, she added. Ash chose not to respond to that. They came out of the castle by the yard where the laundry dried and where Fern prepared the many herbs she used for the smokehouse. Fang had crouched down and was sniffing at a spot at the base of the high stone wall surrounding the courtyard. His ears bobbed forward three times. Then he dove head first and a spray of dirt erupted. That's the spot. It should lead straight under the moat at the shallowest point, if I don't miss my guess, Hazel said. You'll have maybe fifteen, twenty minutes to gather up your things and hurry back out here. Say your goodbyes, but only to the people you trust not to make a fuss and betray you. We don't want them knowing you're gone until morning. Who did she need to say goodbye to? Who really mattered to her? Ash thought back to all the people who had surprised her throughout the day, coming to her with advice and little bits of useful things. She was surprised that so many of the castle residents cared, mostly because she had striven to be as invisible as possible. She had obeyed every order as swiftly as she could manage, to avoid reprimands. She had kept herself neat and clean and quiet, and avoided anyone in a temper, 
anyone who had reputations as bullies and thieves and a readiness to fight. How had she not managed to be invisible, unremarkable, and easy to ignore? Common sense said most of those folks had come to say goodbye because they wouldn't be at the farewell at the castle gates. They wouldn't be hurt if she didn't show up at sunrise, when she was supposed to set out. They might even laugh, knowing she was avoiding Lathia and her noxious father. The only ones who really mattered were Lady Charlotte and Dunstan. Ash would have liked to have said goodbye to Granny Phlox. Then again, hadn't that visit the other day been a goodbye? What more needed to be said between them? That left Lady Charlotte, who, of course, was waiting in her study, rather than having retired for the night already. She put down the scroll she had been studying and smiled when Ash peered through the gap between door and frame. "'Come in, my dear. Ready to fly away?' she held out her hand. "'I'm not staying for the ceremony in the morning. Wise decision. I overheard that odious child insisting that her father make you travel with her so that you can do all the work for both of you.' She sniffed delicately. She actually said that was all you were good for. So you must prove how drastically terribly wrong she is, won't you? I'll do my best, milady. Would you? Is it rude of me to ask you to say goodbye to everyone for me? My dear girl, Charlotte held out both her hands and Ash put hers into them. I am honored that you would trust me to protect your flight. Do you know where you're going first? Over the border, as quickly as possible. I've been given so much advice, there's no way anyone could guess where I would go or should go. Charlotte squeezed her hands once more, then released them. I fear I must apologize. For what? Ash couldn't comprehend Lady Charlotte ever doing something bad enough to require admitting she had been wrong. I should have tried harder to find your parents, or at least some kin. It was simply easier to assume everyone had perished when the sea swept so far inland. It was too easy to simply snatch up all the homeless, parentless children who had no one to speak for them, and convince myself I was doing a good thing to give them homes and training and work, when actually I was merely looking ahead to the needs of Fairhold. Oh no, milady! I would rather be here than anywhere else in the world. I will always be grateful that you brought me to Fairhold. Truthfully, child... How can you say that when you have never been anywhere but Fairhold? The elderly woman shook her head, smiling with just a touch of teary brightness in her eyes. When you have had your adventure, then come back to me and tell me where you would rather be. I suspect you will find some grand and glorious new home, the place that has always called to your heart, the place I think you have been seeking, all unknowing, when you devour books about far-off lands." Ash thought about those words many times during the long night that followed. She crept down the corridors of the castle, extra cautious because this was when danger and disaster always struck in the books she had read, right before the hero escaped brutal enemies and treachery. Now would be the time one of Lord Winston's servants would find her, capture her, and drag her to stand before Lathia and whatever demands she would make now. She darted into dark corners and doorways, and one time crawled under a heavy piece of furniture when she heard voices or footsteps approaching. Most of the time, she recognized the voices of fellow servants. But three times the gait of the lone walker or the voices in conversation didn't sound familiar. Those were the ones to avoid. When she reached her room, her sense of time's passage told her the twenty minutes Hazel had given her to make her goodbyes had run out. 
Fortunately, she had packed and repacked her new satchel and the pack and laid out the new jacket and hooded cape Lady Beatrice had given her. She was already wearing the new boots Lord Diggory had told Fitzcairn the cobbler to adjust to her size. All she had to do was snatch up the baggage, arrange pillow and old clothes and boots under her blankets to appear as if someone was sleeping there, and then she was hurrying down that narrow, dark corridor Fang had led her down before. Hazel was no longer there, and the spot where Fang had been digging was lost under a pile of dirt around the base of the wall. She couldn't see the hole, and certainly not the bunny. What if there wasn't room for her few possessions to travel that hole? Yes, Fang was much larger than any rabbit she'd ever seen, but could he dig a hole, a tunnel, large enough for her? She didn't want to get stuck. That was an inglorious, rather frightening way to die. Fang? She stepped up to the edge of the pile of loose dirt and tried to look down into the hole. The moon was at just the right wrong angle that the wall cast a huge shadow across the hole. Ash knew no one could see her, but she couldn't see into the hole. How am I supposed to go down there? How do I know the hole is finished? Fang? She wished she knew how to whisper and yell at the same time. Perhaps I may be of assistance, the ring said. Oh, I'm sorry, I completely forgot. Ash thought her face was hot enough to cast its own glow. No apology necessary. You certainly aren't used to having me around, or any magical assistance whatsoever. Am I correct? Yes, very. And I should be conversing with you in my thoughts, so no one knows we're here. The ring glowed, softly at first, then brighter, a pale bluish cast that generated no shadows. She thrust her hand down into the deeper darkness and found the hole Fang had dug. It certainly looked wide enough for her to go down on her hands and knees and not scrape her back against the top of the tunnel. A moment of thought, and she had a few answers to some of her questions. She put on her new jacket, with the satchel slung across her chest underneath it. Then she threaded her new cloak through the straps of her pack, and tied the ends of the loop she hung from her shoulder, and set it up to drag behind her as she crawled. "'Are you able to call ahead to Fang and ask if he's done, and I should come ahead?' she thought to the ring. "'He's out and waiting,' the ring responded, after several moments of silence, when she quite expected a hue and cry to arise from the castle." Ash looked back once and shivered as she studied the outline of Fairhold against the starry sky. Half the walls shone with a silver glow from the moonlight, while the rest were lost in darkness and shadow. Then she turned and went down head first, on hands and knees, into the hole and under the wall. The ring's light comforted her, though at times the close proximity of the sides of the tunnel made breathing difficult. Ash knew her imagination might just run away with her if she couldn't see where she was going. The tunnel sloped down just steeply enough. The pack slid every once in a while and pressed against her feet and rump, as if silently urging her to move faster. She nearly panicked once when she imagined the tunnel going down at this angle forever, taking her deep underground, never to come up again. Please, Ring, is Fang out and above ground? Yes, and growing impatient. I wonder if perhaps it would be wise not to teach you to understand the signs he makes with his ears. You're far too young for such language. She sputtered laughter, and that somehow pushed the sides of the tunnels out enough to make the air not quite so thick in her lungs. Soon after that, the tunnel flattened. She counted then, every time her ring hand moved forward. When she got to ninety, it angled up again. Silently begging Athiosius for a gift, 
She tipped her head back so it touched the ceiling of the tunnel and saw moonlight. It was an almost terrifyingly small dot, but it was indeed moonlight. Ash crawled faster, and now the pack dragged behind her. Several times it seemed to catch on something, probably a root that she hadn't noticed because her head didn't scrape against it when she passed. Each time her heart seemed to stutter, then she took another breath, leaned forward, tugged the pack free, and moved on. The dot of moonlight didn't expand quickly enough. She developed a cramp in her neck from looking upward. Ash took to bowing her head to focus on the ground in front of her, and after twenty crawling paces, reaching forward with her right hand, she let herself look up again. Finally, the moonlight grew larger and closer, and breathing became a little easier. The scent of apple blossoms tickled her nose, and she caught her breath, then lunged forward, doubling her pace. With a gasp, she suddenly fell out. Her pack anchored her, so she twisted sideways instead of falling down the sudden drop. Ash lay still, turned halfway on her side, staring up at the tangle of white-robed branches. She was in an orchard. Where was the closest apple orchard outside of Castle Fairhold? Her mind seemed to twist, jammed with dozens of questions, the most important being where she should go now that she was out and away. But she couldn't know which way to go until she knew where she was. Fang landed by her head. Close enough, the fur from his toes brushed her forehead. He bounced up and down, ears bending at impossible angles, twisting and jerking upright. "'What is he saying?' she asked the ring. Her voice cracked, and she realized how dry her mouth felt and tasted. "'He wants you to get up and move before the guard dogs come.' An apple orchard with guard dogs. Old Clispies, the silver merchant, was the only one who had guard dogs on his orchard. Lord Diggory had an orchard three times the size, and everyone said the apples were twenty times better than the sour things Clispies grew. Lord Diggory allowed anyone who wanted apples to come in and enjoy them. They simply could only carry away what they could hold in their hands. That was fair, but Clispies verbally disdained the generosity, which followed the king's example of generosity. That meant he had a wall around his orchard and guard dogs, and Ash knew at least ten servants at Fairhold who joined in the regular forays to steal from Clispies just because the man was such a miser. Nobody ate the apples. They just took them to spite him for his meanness. How am I going to get over the wall, she muttered, as she got to her feet and untangled her cloak from the straps of the pack. You don't have to. You're outside the walls. Several sets of walls. Just follow Fang. The bunny hopped up and down three more times, then darted forward, hopping with huge bounds that didn't rise far upward, but covered enormous distances with each leap. Baying started up somewhere to the right. Now that Ash was on her feet, she saw the branches of the apple trees stretching over the walls, like prisoners begging for rescue. She hauled her pack up onto her shoulder and set off, trying to keep Fang in sight. They followed the line of the wall for five of his hops, then he darted to the left, out into the open. Why are we worried about the dogs if we're outside the walls? Someone is inside the walls and they left the gates open, the ring responded after several moments. Ash would have laughed if she had the breath. Her legs and back ached from the long crawl, and now she ran lopsided, with the weight of her pack pulling her sideways with every other step. Perhaps some day in the future, she might find this memory amusing. She hoped she would be able to tell it to Dunstan and Petrock and Lady Charlotte. First, she would have to vanish into the darkness and evade the hunting dogs. Who had left the gates open, 
Where were the gates? And where were the people who decided to irritate old Clispies when all he had were blossoms, no apples? The surrounding countryside was full of idiots, she decided, and it was a very good thing she had to head out on Justicia Camwell's quest. She heard voices behind her, male voices. Were those the intruders making their escape, or Clispies' servants? Ash glanced back once, even though she knew, and the older boys had scolded her about it, that looking back slowed her and she might trip or knock herself off balance. Three shapes ran through the moonlight. They had no torches. Probably the intruders. Servants or guards, if Clispies actually paid for guards, would have torches or lanterns. Ahead, Fang darted to the left again, vanishing around a wide expanse of something that turned out to be a boulder maybe twice as tall as her and five arm spans wide. As soon as she passed it, Ash saw more enormous chunks of rock. Now she knew where she was, the giant's graveyard. Now was not the time to learn if the ghost tales the boys told in the servants' quarters on stormy nights were true. Depending on who was telling the story, and how bloodthirsty he was, the giant's graveyard really did have giants under those massive boulders, and they were restless and vengeful. People really did vanish when going through the graveyard at night, but according to Cadswall, that was because the ground was riddled with enormous pits, and the unwary plunged into them. And that's the end of episode six. So, did anything that happened in this episode surprise you? Were you expecting something other than a magical bunny to accompany Ash? What sort of trouble do you think Fang will get into on the quest? What sort of trouble do you think Ash will get into trying to keep Fang out of trouble? Just a hint of what lies ahead of Ash and Fang in the days to come. If you've read any of the stories that appear in the Yield Dragon books anthologies, you have an idea of some of the troubles that Fang is going to have to deal with in the future, and the problems that Na, the daughter of Ash, far, far in the future, will have to face keeping Fang out of trouble. I hope you come to the blog and chat and ask questions. Maybe make some suggestions for more adventures the two of them can get into in books that follow. Remember, the blog address is Michelle Levine, L-E-V-I-G-N-E dot blogspot dot com. And remember to come back next week for Episode 7. <laughs>